Welcome to Becoming Your Best Version. I am your podcast host, Maria Leonard Olson. I am an author, attorney, podcaster, mentor to women in recovery, and TEDx speaker. Check out my website, marialeonardolson.com, and please like my TED Talk because I think it has the capacity to help a lot of people and likes move it up in the visibility algorithm. There's a link on my website, or you can Google my name at TEDx. Also, my last book is called 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. And it has already helped thousands of people get unstuck and move forward to live their best lives. So I'm always on the lookout for other people who have made leaps in life, who have decided to not let their fears overcome their hopes. And I came across this article about this extraordinary woman, Kim Wooten, who lives in Boulder, Colorado with her husband and two teenage boys. After 20 years in corporate America, she came up with this brilliant idea to take a midlife gap year to figure out what she wants to do with the rest of her life. Wouldn't it be fun and productive if we all did that? She spends her days geocaching with her sons, writing her fiction novel and doing hot yoga and figuring out what she wants to do. Welcome, Kim. Hey, Maria. Thank you. You can learn more about Kim and follow everything she's doing on Instagram and TikTok. And all of the information is in the show notes. Her website is kimwooten.com, K-Y-M. So Kim, how did you come up with this brilliant idea? I just love it. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I was on a pretty neat path in my life. I had found a lot of success in my career. I had a title and a salary that I had been trying to achieve towards for a long, long time. I had hustled, I had grind, I had done all the things that you're supposed to do in corporate America to succeed, done the job before I had it, worked harder than anyone expected me to, asked for more and more responsibilities and it paid off. And um, I, on paper, my life was pretty incredible. You know, I just had, um, that job and that family and that life that I think a lot of people envy, but I realized a couple of years ago that I had just really ended up on a path that I didn't want to be on (laughs) anymore, which is a scary, a scary place to be because everything and everyone tells you that you are supposed to be going up and to the right always. You're always supposed to be getting that next promotion, making that more money, buying maybe not that next bigger house. And I just didn't care about a lot of those things all of a sudden. And um, and I wanted something that was more than a break. I didn't want to take a sabbatical. I didn't want to quit my job and find the next job. I wanted to separate myself from corporate America in a way that I could really figure out what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do next. And I didn't trust myself to get another job right away 
because I knew that I would fall into the same trap. I knew that I would just be trying to get promoted and trying to make more money because I had just been really hardwired over the years to do that. And I just knew that I needed time and space away from the path that I had created. I was so drenched into that path. I knew that if I just sort of hopped over to an adjacent path, I would just do the same stuff. <laughs> and so uh, my midlife gap year was born out of this idea that that kids, when they graduate from high school, they don't know what the heck they want to do with the rest of their lives. And they just take some time to sort of just figure out who they are before they take that, that first step on their journey. And that's what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted it to feel like a first step, not a next step. Yeah, that is wonderful. It's it rings so true with me. I I guess I took sort of a gap year myself because I did 50 new things during my 50th year to determine how I wanted to live the next chapter of my life. Were you working while you did that? Um, a little, yeah. I was working part-time as a lawyer and also writing and traveling. And uh, I didn't intend to write a book at that time, but people kept asking me for my list. And so mm -hmm. I did shop it to an agent and it got picked up right away. So I felt really lucky in that it was, it was meant to happen. What so, a neat concept to be able to explore in that way and do things that you've never done before. Yeah. I feel so lucky with, with how things have gone in my life and the opportunities that I've had. And Good Morning America picked up your experiment. How did that come to be? Yeah, that was such a wild, <laughs> that was such a wild thing that that happened. Uh, um, so I have been on TikTok for a few years, just as more, more of a consumer. And I decided that I would, I would film a TikTok on the first day of my unemployment, which was January 25th of this year. And I didn't script it. I just sort of sat on my bed and I talked about the reasons that I wanted to take the gap year and what the gap year meant to me. I have, and I'm not joking. I had like a hundred followers. I mean, maybe <laughs> I uh -huh. don't, I'm, I'm no TikTok sensation. And a journalist saw it, a UK journalist. And she reached out to me. She asked me if we could do an interview and I thought, oh yeah, that would be fun. So we interviewed um, a few weeks later. It was a really, it was a really neat interview. And I was sort of just I don't, I mean, I, again, I hadn't prepared for it. I didn't know how to prepare for it. I'd never been interviewed by a journalist before. She, she found asked, you then on TikTok just randomly? Yeah, she must have just seen my video. And um, I, I truly don't know how. I don't know how yeah. she saw it because that video did not go viral. Uh -huh. You know, just I had a few hundred viewers or something. And, um, but she had said that that's how she had found me. And so we did that. We did the interview. I was really happy with how it went. We talked for like 45 minutes. And then the article came out. It turned out that she's actually a freelance journalist who sold the article to a UK tabloid. And the article itself was fine, but the headline on the article was awful. It said Ooh. something to the extent of mom takes gap year and leaves her husband and sons behind. And it said, uh -huh. you know, mom travels the world by herself leaving her family. And then it said something to the, um, something about me going off and taking boozy weekends, which I was really, the whole thing was really upsetting because number I, that isn't what this year is about. I'm not, I, although I have been able to go on a few trips, I'm not traveling. I, you know, some people think gap year and they think like, oh, the kids are backpacking across Amsterdam or across yeah. Europe or something like that, but that's not what my gap year is about. 
And apparently when I learned later that when she sold the story that they have to keep the article intact, but they can do whatever they want with the headlines. So they had written these sensationalized headlines about me doing um, this very selfish thing. And a lot of people read the headlines and not the article. And so the comments on these articles were really awful and hateful. And, you know, I'll tell you that I, um, try to be pretty measured about what I'm good at in life. But one thing that I know for sure that I'm good at is being a mom <laughs> and the number of people that made these awful comments about what a terrible parent I was, it was hard to ignore. And even, even when you know your truth and you know that these people have seen a glimmer, have seen literally a line written about you that's not true. And they're writing these paragraphs about <laughs> how terrible that you are. It's hard to it's hard to not take it personally. So I, I walked away from that experience being really disappointed. I couldn't believe that that's what happened with our interview. And then dozens of UK publications picked it up and published various versions of the headline that were still pretty bad. And then all of a sudden, a couple of US publications picked it up, Scary Mommy and Upworthy. Uh, and that and thankfully, they changed the tone of the headlines more about, you know, woman takes the time off to to figure herself out and she's thriving. And all of a sudden, the comments and the narrative very much shifted. And I was getting hundreds and hundreds of comments and, and, and direct messages of people saying, this is amazing. And this is what I want to do. Or even more cool, actually, people were saying, I'm doing this. I'm taking a midlife gap year. I didn't even know that that was the name of the thing I was doing. Um, and people were really applauding the decision. And then out of nowhere, I got a text from a, a producer at Good Morning America. I have no idea how he got my telephone number. And um, and he asked me if I would do a segment. And actually, this was a day that my, my son had off from school and I'd promised to do this really fun day with him. And he said it had to be the today. And I said, okay, but we have to do it like in the next half an hour because I'm about to go and do all this fun stuff with my kiddo. And so we did it. We did a Zoom and we <laughs> recorded the interview. And um, I was pretty nervous to do it because the previous interview had turned into something that I didn't, that didn't at all accurately reflect actually what I was doing. Um, but it ended up being such a wonderful segment and they pulled out these pieces that I, that I felt like did a great job of telling the story. And then they also interviewed a career expert who validated and said, yes, it can be scary to have a gap on your resume, but actually it shows a great deal of, of um, of, uh, of courageousness to just take a break and then go back into the workforce refreshed and knowing more about what you want. So it was incredible. And the feedback that I got from it has been, has been really, really neat. Such an unexpected term, you know, series of events that led there. Oh, that's great. I love that story. Like good things come to good people. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. It's certainly not how I felt the morning that that article got released, but I am just very grateful that it ended up turning into a direction that was much more authentic. Right, right. I mean, my son is a social media star. I don't mm. know if you know that. Do you? Did you know that? I did not know that. Okay. Well, on TikTok, his name is Chris and he's got 10 million followers and on Instagram, it's Chris Olson, and he has 3 million. On 10 million, 3 million. What does he do? <laughs> He's really funny. He's hilarious. He does have this kind of theme that he brings coffee to celebrities, including J-Lo, Vice President Harris, all kinds of people. 
And then he just makes people laugh. And he started it during the pandemic. And I think people just really wanted to laugh. And so it took off like wildfire. And now he's got a great career, lots of um, endorsements and travels around the world doing shows and things. So I'm That's really, so really you proud know, of him. And one thing that I've learned is since I, in the last few months, I've been being on social media more and trying to um, do content on Instagram and TikTok because I'm trying, what I'm trying to do this year now is write a book, which I can talk about in a little bit, but yeah. I'm trying to gain, you know, a community of people, of readers and writers that I can, um, you know, lean on and talk to as I'm doing this process of, of creating a novel and, content creation is no joke. I mean, it is, it takes a long time. I, I, I really under, under, un, un, underestimated the amount of effort that it takes for people to create those videos. Yeah. And, um, so kudos to your son for making a career out of it because it's, it's, it's not easy. Yeah. He's a master editor too. So I think that really helps because he knows how to really Absolutely. make things pop. So definitely check out. Yeah, I will. His, I'll, uh, I'll follow him. He's a, an amazing guy. Neat. So um, yeah, let's talk about your first novel. And you describe it on your website as a dystopian fiction book that asks the question, why do we choose to have children? Using the adjective dystopian worries me because that means a little effed up. So like what? What is, I mean- the only reason I can think of is are the only reasons I can think of are good reasons, but obviously you're exploring some sort of dark side to the choice to have children. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I've been playing around with genre because I don't, I I think that the book should be called dystopian, but I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm literally days from finishing my novel, which I'm just astounded by because I have been thinking about, dreaming about, talking about writing a book for over 10 years, and I could never find the discipline to do it while I was employed for it full-time. I see a lot of people doing it, and kudos to them, because being able to work and use your energy for many, many hours a day in your in your full-time day job, and then turn around and and use the kind of creativity that it takes to write I, I have, I never was able to, to be able to tap into energy in that way. And so it hasn't been until I've been unemployed that I've actually been able to write. Um, and I've learned a ton about writing and process and genre and the absolute slog of trying to get published, <laughs> um, in the last few months, but so I'm still trying to play around with what genre the book is. And I think right now I'm, I'm maybe it's more of like speculative, uh, fiction, which I don't know. I don't know that people really even know. I, I didn't even know what that meant before I found that word. Um, but it, it's not quite sci-fi, but sort of like, I wonder if this happened. And so what's actually happened with writing this book, and I did not set out to do this, is that it's sort of the prequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Have oh, you read that book? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so in The Handmaid's Tale, there's these very few women who are able to have babies and they become breeders basically for the richest, yes. most powerful people in the world. Mm -hmm. And Margaret Atwood in her book sort of uh, alludes to how that came to being, but not actually, it was more just like when the government was falling apart. And, and um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't quite mean to, to write that book. I didn't set out to write that book, but I think that that's the book that I've written, which feels exciting and scary. And also, I don't know. I don't know if people will like that or not, but um, 
Oh my gosh, The Handmaid's Tale is wildly successful and spun out into a successful TV show. So I think you've got something there. Maybe. I don't want people to think I did it so that I could sort of ride the coattails of that so much success. I mean, if I even get the opportunity to try to start promoting my book because it's been published, then that will be a good day and a good problem to have. No, I think you should ask Margaret Atwood for a book blurb. Well, I'll, do you know her? I <laughs> No, <laughs> I someone, don't. If someone listening to this podcast knows Margaret Atwood and can make a recommend or, uh, a connection, I, I sure would appreciate it. Well, um, I, even if you don't have connections, uh, I have lots of author friends who have cold called, cold emailed. No way. Both famous people and their agents and publicists. And if you basically write it for her so that she can sign off on it and say, that you're such a great admirer of her work and that the what what inspired you were questions you were prompted to ask yourself when you read A Handmaid's Tale. I mean, I think you should go for it. Do yes. it. Yes, well, thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. I think I will. And another um, angle is to ask any of the producers of The Handmaid's Tale mm, television series. Mm, good idea, Maria. Thank you. Yeah. So my, in my book, um, basically what happens, it is a dark book. Uh, a virus hits the world and kills all children that have not yet gone through puberty. So we lose in a series of just a few weeks, an entire generation of children. And of course, hearing that, I mean, obviously the emotional impact of losing that many kiddos. I mean, even if you're not a parent yourself, you know, you have kids in your life and, so the emotional consequences of that are devastating. Um, but the economic impacts of, of losing an entire generation are staggering. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, like seeing China who implemented their one child policy for so long. And now the economic impacts that they're feeling now, they really overcorrected in instituting that policy. And now the government is offering incentives to... Um, two people to have children. And so my book kind of plays on that concept where 10 years before the virus hits, the government is offering incentives for people to grow their families. And so people start having kids for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes people who already wanted to be parents, they start having kids and getting those financial benefits. But some people come together as couples who wouldn't have come together to have kids so that they can have those financial incentives. And I think it's just an interesting time for us to be asking this question as the generation that's coming up are making very different decisions about if and when to marry, if and when Mm -hmm. to have children. And I think that our generation, my generation and the generations before me, it was just the thing we did. We got married, we had kids and the people who were choosing to not get married, the people that were choosing to not have kids, they're spinsters or they're, you know, living these, this divergent lifestyle that people don't understand. You know, what if you don't, you know, you'll regret it one day. Don't have, if you don't have kids. And I mean, I've never been in that position because I, I, I did the thing that you're, and I'm putting this in quotes. I did the thing you're supposed to do. You know, I, I got married and I have two children and I have a dog and, you know, from on the outside, I did, I checked all the boxes that you're supposed to check as, as an adult you know, who's going through the stages. And I just think it's actually just this very, very interesting construct that's developing where people are saying, I don't want a piece of paper that the government decides that now I'm officially married and now, and then I can officially 
not be married if I don't want to have this person in my life anymore. And I don't want to be a parent because it's very expensive and it requires a level of selflessness that I don't want to have. And I think that that's becoming more accepted now. And so, you know, I think that this book explores those concepts of why people choose to have children. And then when there are no children, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what does the government then do? And that's what's happening in my book is the government sort of doubles down and it becomes not that they're incentivizing people to have children, but they're actually disincentivizing people who won't have children. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much of my book, but there's a, um, you know, only some people are actually able to have children after this virus hits. And I think that's, that's the then play into this dystopian, amazing world that Margaret Atwood created with Handmaid's Tale. And how did we get to be in a world where only some women were able to have kids? Uh, so yeah, that's the book. And I'm, I'm, it's been a thrilling experience to write it and, um, it will be, the moment of my dreams when it will, when it's published. Wow. Well, I signed up for your newsletter and I'm looking forward to reading the book. Thank you. And I would also uh, encourage you to listen to my podcast episode of Emily Barras, who is the owner of Bold Story Press, uh, which is a hybrid publisher that only publishes women authors. She used to be an editor-in-chief at um, McGraw-Hill in New York, and mm. she started her own imprint or her own uh, publishing company. And she also has a monthly free webinar on getting published. It tells you the difference between traditional publishers, hybrid, et cetera, self-publishing. So she is an excellent, excellent person for someone who is new to the book industry or even a veteran to know. So definitely look into that. I Um, will. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I've done hybrid self and traditional publishing Mm -hmm. for my books and there are definite advantages to each one. So um, I also do a little bit of book marketing for women on the side Mm -hmm. and I'm a lot less expensive than most publicists. So when you're published, if you want (laughs) to um, book some time with me, let me know or anyone else who's listening. Thank you. So the other interesting thing in your bio on your website is that you own this thing that I had to look up and X all little. (laughs) What the heck is that? I mean, the picture of is frightening. Please tell our listeners what it It is. It looks like it looks like some kind of crazy prehistoric little critter that has like climbed from the depths of the of the sea. Uh, Yeah, they're they're aquatic little animals. Um, They they are they breathe they breathe they 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 have to be kept in the water. They are a very high maintenance animal to keep. They need a very specific chemical um, chemicals in their tank. They have to be kept at a very low temperature. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a wild animal to have. <laughs> that is fascinating. And what made you get this animal? You know, it's, it was my youngest son. Uh, he, he this is so cliche. He saw a YouTube video about axolotls and he became obsessed and started to just research everything about them. And then, uh, the universe just put one in our lap. Actually, somebody on like our Facebook neighborhood page posted this thing saying that they had someone who wanted to rehome their axolotl. And we said, we've been wanting to get one. And so oh that's how we ended gosh. up with one. 
Yes, that his is, name is so funny. Yes, his name is Juicy, and uh, yes, we love him. <laughs> Can he stay in the tank with your fish or no? No, he is kept alone. He's, he's a very <laughs> finicky little guy. <laughs> that is hilarious. I have never heard of that. So thank you for telling me what it is. For those of you listening, it's spelled A-X-O-L-O-T-L, and it looks like um, kind of like a a salamander a salamander with horns yeah he is Six those horns. are his gills his gill the, his their lungs are on the outside of their body ah, and it so is yeah they kind of they kind of creature. pulsate as they breathe it's very oh, interesting oh my gosh that is hilarious <laughs> okay so getting back to your gap year what do your kids think about the gap year in ocean for their mom They've been great about it. When when my husband and I started talking about it, you know, we we planned we planned and and um uh talked about it for many months before we did it. And I think that as most kids reactions would be, they wanted to know well, how the, how is this going to impact me? Uh, me being them, you know, will we have to s- stop doing as much? Can we not go on vacation anymore? You know, those kinds of things and um and what was interesting is that the couple of years before that because of COVID, my husband and I exclusively started working from home, whereas before we had worked outside the home, but we both had office jobs and both of our companies changed to being remote uh, or allowing us to work remote. And so me being home hasn't really changed that much since I started um, or since I quit my job. I mean, of course I'm, I'm more available, but I was really lucky with my, with my job and my position, my company, very flexible. I was able to do the things that I, that I, that I needed to do for my family. If I needed to leave early to go pick them up from somewhere to attend a game or a practice or something like that, I could do those things. Um, but I think that what they've experienced the most is just who I have evolved into being. And I still very much feel like I'm evolving, but I, I am just not as distracted and I'm not as tense and anxious as I was when I was working. I, I didn't even realize that those were words that described me (laughs) until I stopped working. I felt like I was actually a very present mom and it wasn't until I didn't have the pressure of constantly checking my email, being available for meetings anytime that they were scheduled, you know, in a company where people were working all across the U S and Canada. And if someone scheduled a meeting, that was like 6am my time, I did it. If someone scheduled a meeting at 7pm my time, I did it. If someone sent me an email at eight o'clock at night, I looked at it. I read mm-hmm. it. I would say, Oh, I'm just going to run to my office really fast and do this thing. I, I just, I, I didn't realize that all of those little moments, how they were adding up and taking me away from what was most important. And that's my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was interesting that I I really, truly did not realize who I was until I left. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's, it's made a big impact on my family. It's made a big impact on my kids. I am a different mom now than I was. Wow. That's beautiful. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. I wish I could turn the clock back and redo my kids' early childhood, but wow. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, and actually I feel lucky that this is, I'm doing this when my kid, my kids are 13 and 16 mm-hmm. and I feel very fortunate to be spending this year with them because I think that we're setting the stage for our relationship when they're adults mm-hmm. and when they go from 
you know, having to be <laughs> living in my house and living under my, my rules, uh, to choosing to spend time with me and choosing the kind of relationship that we'll have once they're adults. And so I know that uh, many families make the decision to have one person stay home with kids when they're babies. And I get the logistics of that daycare is expensive and things like that. Um, but I think that this time with them right now at the ages that they are is going to forever impact who we are together as adults. I agree. Definitely agree with that. So what was your career before you took the gap year? I worked at a, uh, a consulting and data science company. We served the utility space uh, and I worked there for 13 years. By the when I left, I was on the executive leadership team, the only woman on the executive leadership team. And I was overseeing human resources, marketing, and IT. And we were owned by a private equity company. Uh, and I was, and we were buying a bunch of companies. We bought nine companies in two years. Mm -hmm. And I became responsible for all of the integration of those companies, which was really honestly, a very exciting position. I had never done it before. And that was one of the reasons I stayed at the job as long as I did at the company for as long as I did is because I was constantly getting to do new things because I was constantly willing to work at a pace <laughs> mm -hmm. and a level of effort that probably other more sane people would not have been willing to, to work at. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, a cool job and I'm grateful to have still a lot of friends who are working there. Um, but it changed a lot. It changed a lot, especially in the last few years when we were purchased by the private equity firm and we went from being a very, a more mission driven company that was really focused on, um, uh, environment to a company that was still doing that, but, behind the scenes, under the covers, you know, when you're in the board meetings and in the leadership team meetings, it was all about making us as profitable as possible. And that was a hard, that was a hard switch for me. I, I just, I, as the months and as the months went by, I just felt like I was the only person in the room <laughs> who was feeling a certain way about, about how we were making decisions, how we were communicating decisions, how things were impacting our people. Um, and it got pretty exhausting. Yeah, sure. I can see that. So what, what advice do you have for people now that you're squarely in the middle of your gap year? What do you, advice do you have for people who are contemplating doing this or wondering what could I get out of this year? Oh, I mean, just do it any way you can do it. I, I was very fortunate that I am totally unemployed and I know that that is not something that all people can do because of <laughs> with the money that you need to live your life and raise your family. Um, so obviously I feel like I, I'm able to do something on the far spectrum of that I was able to save money and that my husband works. I mean, if he didn't work and if he didn't make the salary he makes, we wouldn't be able to do this. Um, but I think do it in any way that you can, if it's about that you can quit your job and take a break if it's that you can go part-time, if it's that you can start taking long weekends. For me, I knew it had to be, it had to be leaving. That is, I have the kind of personality that I just, I was obsessed with work. I don't know how else to say it. I was obsessed with work. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to do the best. I wanted to make the most money. I wanted to be the most impressive. 
I, I couldn't do it any other way. I know some people, there's this term, you know, quiet quitting where people are basically sort of phoning it in or, or maybe um, they're just dialing down the level of effort that it in their positions. I can't do that. <laughs> and so, um, but if, if, if they're, if you're seeking something, and I think that's really at the heart of it is like, what are you seeking? What is the, what is the, voice inside of you that is telling you that you're meant to do something that you're not doing. And that might not be work. You know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's um, where you live. Maybe it's art that you have in your heart that you know that you're meant to create and writing, dance, poetry, you know, painting. It could be any, anything. There's something inside of you that's like, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm telling you, it's not going to go away. That voice is not going to go away. And another thing is that you're never, you're never not going to be scared to pursue it. That mm-hmm. fear that mm-hmm. accompanies that voice, you know, you have that voice that says, do this, you're meant to do this. And then immediately that voice of fear that gives you a hundred thousand million reasons why you can't or shouldn't do it, why it isn't possible. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go away. I don't know where that voice comes from. For me, that voice is very loud. For others, maybe that voice is not loud. And please, let's talk. <laughs> because ah! I, would, I would love to know how how you make that possible. Um, but I just had to do it. Right. I was I was terrified to quit my job. And I did yeah. it anyways. I was terrified to start writing this book. And I did it anyways. I am right now terrified to write the last 5,000 words of my book. And I'm going to sit down and do it anyways. <laughs> and so um, I think it's just about listening, listening to your voice and knowing what is true and what you're meant to do. I will, I, I know that I will never, ever, ever, ever regret taking this time because of who has shown me who I am, who I had become, mm-hmm. who I want to become. Mm-hmm. And even if it means that I go back to a corporate America job and I'm making a lot less money and I have a much less impressive title, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I think I've really been able to put my ego in check over this, this time and realize what's truly important. Yeah. And yeah, advice. <laughs> if you have the voice, please just follow it, follow it in the way in any way as possible for you. Yeah. you, you will not regret it. I can say that with 100% certainty following that voice, you will not regret it. That's beautiful. So I like to ask this question of all our podcast guests. What do you do to become your best version? I am figuring that out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fair, fair. And if I can just, here's what I'm doing is I am trying to unlearn the messages that I have been taught over my 42 years on this planet about what I am supposed to do and who I am supposed to be. And I am really tapping into a part of myself to learn who I want to be, who I am meant to be. And that is a really tough process because I have been a very good student of this life (laughs) to learn the type of girl and woman and wife and mother and worker that makes me a version of successful that the world tells me is good enough. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that <laughs> what I am doing to become this new and best version of myself is just learning what does that mean for me, even if it doesn't look like success. And even if it looks a little messy from the outside, at least it's, it's pure and it's authentic. Mm, absolutely. I'm really, really impressed by what you're doing and you're just helping other people see that there's another way, which I think is has so much utility in a conformist society. So thank you so much for being here. And please do follow her on her journey, kimwooten.com. Check out the show notes for the Instagram and the TikTok accounts. And please, please keep us informed. This is so exciting. I'm so happy our paths have crossed. Thank you. Me too. I definitely will. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.